school in Villengrad, um, where the oldest student was 93 years old, uh, Dmitry uh, Kulichev. He and his brother, who just died a year ago, spent quite a number of years in prison for their faith um, in, in the land of Bulgaria. An amazing man uh, in many ways. He never misses a, a mission school and the opportunity to learn, even at 93 years old. And uh, we sat one evening, I think I put it on Facebook, maybe uh, a, a picture of Dimitri in the middle of the students, and he was holding forth at 93 years old, and uh, he could hold his own uh, when it came to theological debate and all the rest of it. But a wonderful time. Met two Roma ladies, uh, an older lady and a younger lady who are working in a, 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 in a very poor village, uh, mostly Roma, gypsy uh, folk there. And uh, between them, they have started an initiative to uh, set up a soup kitchen, and, uh, and it's amazing what they have done, uh, how they got the Roma men to work. I don't know because they don't have a reputation for hard work. But anyway, they got them to work. They have a kitchen tiled and ready uh, and a dining place tiled and ready. They've run out of money. And, uh, and so it was uh, nice to meet them and perhaps bring home uh, that request to SGA uh, that there might be some funds to go out and to help them to finish that. But they're already feeding 50 children and 30 adults uh, in, that, uh, in that soup kitchen, even though it's uh, unfinished uh, as yet. And it's a gospel work there, sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is working in the Roma communities, particularly in Eastern Europe. Quite amazing uh, what's happening. And uh, Roma, Roma Church is springing up. Uh, one of the big burdens is to train Roma leaders. And in our uh, group in Valengrad, we had about eight Roma students, uh, fellows, and a couple of girls uh, there who were training really for at work in some of these village churches. So it was a wonderful, wonderful time. We went to Serbia. It's a very dark country. Pray for Serbia. Serbia is a dark country, not just dark spiritually. It's dark economically. It's dark in terms of just the whole social structure of the country. And nobody seems to care about the elderly or the vulnerable or those in need. And one of the senior pastors there was telling us, you know, they sometimes almost feel despairing at the, 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 the hardness and the callousness really, that seems to be abroad uh, in that country. So do pray for the church. Very small minority of believers, again, in both of those countries, but uh, hard at work seeking to glorify the Lord. So your prayers are being answered. Thank you for your prayers for us. It was a tremendous time. Everything went well. Even though our flight home uh, left two hours late, I was biting my nails, what were left of them, to see if I would make my connection in Luton, but I did. Uh, with, in fact, enough time to get a cup of coffee in between, which is brilliant, uh, and get home safely. So thank you so much for your prayers and your interest in all of that. We're turning tonight uh, back to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, and we're slowly making our way through the gospel. I trust that uh, you've been enjoying and uh, appreciating something more of our Lord as we've seen him in his ministry uh, as recorded by John. And we, uh, tonight we're going to read uh, from uh, verse 7 uh, through to verse 15. Some verses that we've read before, but moving on down a little further. Verse 7 down to verse 15, where Jesus says this, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, 
just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's bow together for a moment of prayer as we turn to this passage of Scripture. Dear Lord, we look to you again this evening as we come to these words of instruction and exhortation from the mouth of our Lord himself. We pray for your help, Lord, that you will take these words and apply them to our lives this evening. We pray for those of us who are your children, that we will hear your voice speaking clearly to us. We pray, Lord, for those who as yet are still unsaved, that, Lord, they may hear the challenge tonight of this word, that the Holy Spirit will bury this word in their minds and in their hearts, and that very soon they will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior too. So, Lord, we commit ourselves to you. We lean upon you and ask for the help of your Holy Spirit again, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you don't have to answer this question out You can answer it in your own mind and heart. But uh, how often have you been tempted to name drop? You know, to drop a little name here, a famous name there, the temptation to perhaps show off a bit as to who your friends and acquaintances are. I think possibly uh, most of us have done it, or at least perhaps have been tempted to do it. I'm a great fan of Faulty Towers. Um, only 12 episodes were ever made uh, of Faulty Towers, and uh, I uh, uh, occasionally go on to YouTube, if I'm honest, and I watch the good bits again and have a good laugh uh, at some of them. But Faulty Towers, uh, Basil Faulty, you know, with this inflated sense of his own importance. A couple of those uh, episodes, one called Gourmet Night and another called A Touch of Class, where he wanted a better class of clientele, you know, and he had his uh, uh, run-ins with uh, Sir, Le- Sir Richard and Lady Morris, and uh, particularly Lord Melbury, who uh, conned him with a, a case full of bricks, if you remember the episode and so forth. But, but all you see as an, in an effort, really, basically, to, to advance himself uh, through uh, the names of people, important people, uh, whom he thought he should uh, know and, and get to know and so forth. It was all pointless, of course, uh, his name dropping uh, to boost his own ego was all in vain. It all ended uh, in disaster, of course. But uh, imagine being called the friend of God. Imagine being called the friend of God. That was Abraham's name. The ultimate friendship. 
David tonight, even in leading, he reminded us of the, the greatness of this God, took us to Psalm 19, something of the majesty and the glory and the wonder of the God who made this world and who rules this world. And to be God's friend, to be a friend of the Almighty, something wonderful, something thrilling, something you can't think of anything more wonderful and more thrilling than that. But the problem is that born into this world, we are not God's friends. We are anything but God's friends. Because we're born into this world estranged from Him. We are, we are born far away from Him. We are born in sin. David talks about being shaped in iniquity. Uh, the, the mold, if you like, from which we have come uh, is one which is already infected by sin. And worse still, Scripture tells us that not only are we cut off from God, but we are in reality His enemies. That there is a natural enmity between us, born in sin, and a God who is holy and cannot look on sin. You know, sin is not long in displaying itself even in the very youngest of lives. And all of you will know, all of you who are parents and grandparents know that the word no becomes very quickly part of a child's vocabulary. Sin is there from the beginning. Far from being born friends of God, we are born in the opposite warring camp. We are born uh, 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 with our backs towards Him. We are, we are constantly warring against Him and walking against His ways. Now, many people find this hard to accept. Many people are offended when we preach like this and we teach like this, but how, how else can you understand or explain this, that children understand what stealing is or disobedience is or selfishness is long before they understand the words or the concepts themselves? And they know, even little ones know, that what they do is wrong. These are things which displease God. I was teaching Isaiah last week and was struck again as I read through that tremendous uh, prophecy of one feature that comes out so very clearly. Sixteen times in the book of Isaiah, he uses the word rebel to describe uh, God's wayward people. Five times, actually, in the first chapter of Isaiah. And, and so this, this concept of rebelliousness uh, is, is one which describes uh, the wayward Israel state that uh, those tribes who had turned against him who were following after other gods and, and, and Isaiah charges them as do other of the minor prophets uh, there too charges them with spiritual harlotry, spiritual prostitution. It's as serious and as horrid and as filthy as that as they run after other gods. And of course, this sinfulness brings us under God's condemnation. How far that is from friendship with God. Because since nothing sinful can be tolerated by this God who cannot look on sin, then our situation is, is a grave one. We are already condemned John talks about that in another place, that 
that we are condemned already when we are without the means of forgiveness, uh, the Son of God. Now, there are many deep questions with regard to this whole idea of original sin, how it affects us. But we know, even as we, we are parents of our tiny little babies and as we watch them grow, we see developing along with their characters, along with their personalities, we see also they develop in their practice of sin. But John speaks here, or John records here, the words of our Lord, which, which speak of the possibility of friendship with God. The possibility of friendship being reinstated between sinners, between rebels, and a holy God. He speaks of reconciliation with God. He speaks of reconciliation with himself, the second person of the Trinity. And he speaks to those who were once his enemies. And here he calls them his friends. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. And so we have this insistence that friendship with the Holy God is possible for sinners. How is it possible? How is it possible that we who are spiritual rebels can become friends of Christ, friends of God. Well, let me speak first of all about the foundation of this friendship with Christ. And we see it uh, in, in a couple of verses here. Verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And then look down at verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. And the foundation of this friendship is the love of God for sinners. It is God taking the initiative. It is what we call grace. Love which is undeserved. Love which is unmerited. Love which can't be bought. It can't be paid for. Uh, it can't be cajoled or bribed out of God. It is love which is absolutely free. It is God taking the initiative. God could have written humanity off. In absolute justice and holiness, when Adam and Eve rebelled in the garden, he would have been totally justified by his own standards in writing humanity off. But he didn't. In grace and in mercy, he, he looked upon fallen humanity. And as is true of all true love, and, and, and this is something I think that we, we need to grasp and we need to emphasize, we need to re-catch again. As is true of all real love, it was not mere emotion. True love is not mere emotion. <coughs> it's not even... Pity or empathy. It is action. And we see this consistently in Scripture. God's love 
is the basis of his saving action. God's love brought him to move in a rescue mission for men and women who were rebels. And Jesus says it here in verse 13. You know, greater love has no one than this. What is that greater love? The man laid down his life for his friends. Not simply that God looked from a distance and said, isn't it dreadful, terrible, you know that men and women are sinners and they're in this awful state and so forth. That wouldn't have saved us. God's love is action. And he gives his life for his friends. And here's the answer. Here's the only answer to the question, how may God's enemies be made his friends? How may we come back into friendship with God? How may we take upon ourselves that wonderful, that lovely, lovely description? A friend of God. A friend of God. Christ's death was God's way of dealing with the sin that makes us his enemies. If we are to become God's friends, then the root cause of that enmity has to be removed. It has to be dealt with. And it was that re- for that reason that Christ came to the cross. He was a sin offering. The sacrifice that, made, that was made and that was given to establish our forgiveness. Christ, by bearing our sin upon himself, took away the enmity that lies between a holy God and the rebellious sinner. He laid down his life that God's enemies might become his friends. And you know, that's what gives us tremendous hope and tremendous encouragement as we look forward to the gathering, to these nights of mission. Because we believe this from the depths of our beings, that the love of God, the gracious love of God can touch the hardest heart, no sinful life. And as Brother David was preaching this morning, can bring about a tremendous transformation, supernatural transformation from being enemies of God to being friends of God. And it's he who makes friends with us. This is the incredible thing. We come back to this whole business of grace. It is God who makes friends with us and makes that friendship possible. So the foundation of friendship with Christ or the foundation of friendship with God is, in fact, God's initiating grace, his love. Second thing is this, the proof of our friendship with Christ. What is the proof that we are friends of Christ? Well, verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And there's a very searching test in here for those of us who profess salvation. Because there are many who claim to be God's children and Christ's friends, and yet their lifestyle, their beliefs, their attitudes, their treatment of others belies their profession. And the test for us, the challenge for us is this. 
If we are Christ's friends, do we keep his commands? Now, there is no confusion here of faith and works. There's no confusion here of faith and works. You know, sometimes uh, theologians, particularly those who like to be critical of the Bible, they want to set Paul and James against each other. Paul who says that we are justified by faith without the works of the law, and James who says, well, without uh, uh, works, faith is incomplete and empty. There's no uh, contradiction because the concept of love, Christian love, the concept of faith in Christ includes action. We've already said it about God's love. God's love was not a passive thing, not mere emotion. It was something He did, if you like. He put into action. And faith is exactly the same. Faith is not merely assenting to certain things, certain um, precepts or certain uh, propositions or whatever. Faith in the Bible sense is following. Faith is following. Faith is following Christ. Faith is turning around from sin and a sinful way of living. And following a new leader, a new master in a new direction. And so faith includes that concept of saving faith, includes that concept of repentance, of turning around by God's grace, and of going in a different direction. And the Lord is saying something which I think is very challenging here. Challenging for those of us who are believers. The proof, the proof of our friendship with Christ lies in the way that we live. Now, we know that Christ has already taught that in order for us to experience salvation, in order for us uh, to, to, to know salvation, we have to be born again. We personally have to forsake our sins. We, we must, by faith alone, accept God's gift of salvation. That's without works, without any merit. So, but the faith which clings to Jesus, the faith which is real, is a faith which blossoms into fruit in our life. We already looked at that in John chapter 15 earlier on. We are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. The faith that saves is obedience. And in fact, in, in one or two places in Scripture, it actually says this. Peter says this. He talks about those who have not obeyed the gospel of our blessed God. And that's a, a way of saying you haven't exercised faith. In Christ. And so, if you like, the proof of our friendship with Christ is that our lives produce the fruit that brings Him glory and brings Him honor. And Jesus says this here you know, you're my friends if you do what I command you. Maybe you're here tonight and you have made a profession. Or perhaps you're sitting this evening thinking, well, I'm okay. You know, I live a, a fairly reasonable life and a decent life. I'm kind to my neighbors and friends and I go to church and I do all of these things. 
Those things are peripheral as far as this is concerned. A man or a woman, a boy or a girl, has to be brought into friendship with Christ before the works that we do actually glorify Him. And the person, the man or the woman, or the boy or the girl who is brought into Christ cannot fail, but in fact produce good works and produce good fruit. So, if you're unsafe tonight, the proof of any friendship you might claim with the Son of God is not to be found in what you say or claim for yourself. It is to be found, first of all, on whether or not you have come His way to find salvation. If you have obeyed the gospel of our blessed God. For us as Christians, those of us who are believers tonight, there's a word here for us. Does our life support or deny our profession? If we were to be hauled to court, would the jury find enough evidence to convict us of being followers of Christ through the lives that we lead? The foundation of this friendship, the proof of this friendship, but then I want to finish by just emphasizing this, the privilege of friendship with Christ. I think this is a tremendous word. I'm not sure really I, I, I can express it as I'd like to express it, but Jesus says in verse 15, no longer do I call you servants or bond servants or bond slaves, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. That's an amazing statement. That's an amazing statement. That we are the, that we have an insight into the mind of God by the ministry of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ in our lives. Because Jesus says here that he, he, he doesn't call us merely servants. The, the, the bond slave does what his master does, uh, if you like, by, by code obedience. If I'm the master and I have a slave, I say, slave, go and bring some coal for the fire or go and get me this or that or the other thing. I don't have to give a reason. I don't have to give an explanation why I want this done or that done or the other thing done. The bond slave does it out of cold obedience, if you like. There is no sense of intimacy or relationship in that situation. And there are so many today, I think, who are living religious lives where there is simply that cold uh, obedience, obedience to a cold command. You know, I, I, in some of the countries we work in, in SGA or Muslim countries, as you know, in Central Asia particularly, and, uh, and one, of the, one of the outstanding differences between the Muslim concept of Allah, God, their God, and the God of the Bible, Yahweh, is this that the God of the Bible is a God who enters into relationship with his creatures. 
Allah is a despot, a dictator, who from a distance basically manipulates um, what's going on, on on earth according to Muslim belief. There is no sense of a personal relationship between the deity and people. And one of the things when you talk to converted Muslim folk, one of the things that will often come out is that they have been surprised and delighted by the concept of one, a God who made them, but who wants fellowship and communion with them. We sometimes, I think, with our Christian background, we take that so much for granted, you know. The concept of a God who, who, who longs for communion with His creatures. We forget sometimes that God has always existed in relationship from eternity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And He made us in His image. He made us so that we might have that personal relationship with him. And Jesus comes to to speak of it here in in terms of friendship with Christ. What an amazing privilege. I feel sorry sometimes for outsiders looking in on us. Maybe maybe we're we're at fault in this. Somebody said, I wonder what people think when we see us all pouring out of church uh, on a Sunday morning. Do they think we've endured it or enjoyed it? Uh, I'm not sure, but, uh, but I hope that as they see us coming out of Knockconny on a Sunday morning, they'll realize that we've enjoyed being in there and enjoyed the time there. <clears throat> but, the, but the outsider's concept of being a Christian, being a believer, uh, is, is, if you like, that it's dull duty, dull religious duty and performance and so forth. Maybe in our baser moments, uh, it can be like that for some of us when we go through the, the, the shadows and the difficult periods and so forth. But, but in our heart of hearts, isn't it true, believers tonight, isn't it true that we enjoy a sense of fellowship and communion with the one who has loved us so much in Christ? What a privilege. Privilege to be in Christ. Privilege to know that the intimacy of that love that God has for his own children. Privilege to have that superabundant life that God has given us. Super to have the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, revealing the mind of God to us telling us the things that God wants us to know and how he wants us to live. No longer bond servants. You know, I think about upstairs, downstairs, not that I watch very much of it, to be honest with you, um, but the whole concept of upstairs, downstairs is that, well, upstairs is, you know, superior, downstairs is a little bit inferior, and they knew their place, and they stayed uh, where they were and so forth. There's no upstairs, downstairs in the Christian life. All of us sinners, rebels, deserving of death, deserving of hell, through the Lord Jesus Christ are lifted upstairs into the very presence of God, access to him, full access, through our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's an amazing statement that, you know, I've called you friends for all that I've heard from my Father. 
I have made known to you. What a privileged people we are. What a privileged people. Possessors of eternal life. Sins eternally forgiven and forgotten. Guilt removed. Lives brought under the detailed and loving care of our great God himself. The guarantee and the assurance that come what may, the believer has that most precious of all possessions, peace with God and the peace of God. One day, the clouds of this life for all of us will scatter, whether it is by death or by the Lord's coming again, those clouds will scatter. And we will dwell in the full sunshine of the love of God for all eternity. Friends of God, friends of Christ, what a privilege. Where are you tonight, spiritually? The apostle speaks about those who were far off being brought near by the blood of Christ. How near? (laughs) This near. To become God's friends. The friends of the Son of God. I trust that you're there tonight. And if not, that soon by the grace of God you might be, by repenting of your sin, turning to Jesus for his forgiving love. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts this evening. How else can we finish this evening but by singing our closing hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, All Our Sins and Griefs to Bear.